Oh, very good morning to you. <laughs> a few years ago, I remember um, now, we went out with uh, friends from work to celebrate a colleague's birthday. And uh, they were a bit of a foodie and they wanted to go to a rather a posh restaurant. Um, well, it seemed posh to me because it had like real linen tablecloths and napkins and, you know, with the waiter pulled out his chair and he did everything but feed, you know, feed us. Anyway, we enjoyed the, the ambience of the restaurant and we enjoyed the food. And, uh, but then after, after we left, uh, my boss said, you uh, still feel a bit hungry. And uh, indeed, we all kind of agreed, actually, we still feel a bit hungry. But how could that be? How is it possible to eat out in a restaurant and still be hungry after a meal? I kind of felt a bit cheated in a way. And I have to admit, we ended up getting some chips from a rather less posh establishment, shall we say. Anyway, sometimes life can be like that, can't it? Maybe the thing you've always longed for turns out not to be satisfying as you thought. And it leaves you hungry. Maybe that new, top-of-the-range, super-duper, turbo-powered vacuum cleaner that you've always dreamed of. You know, it's so much fun to use, isn't it? All the whole family want to use it, eager to try it out. And sooner or later, the novelty wears off. And I know during lockdown, we had a new washing machine. And, uh, you know, when it first arrived, it was all like, ooh, all these new functions and gadgets and things that it did. Apparently, you can even start it, and then if you left out a sock or something, you can somehow put it in again, which interests me. I thought, all oh, the water might come out, but anyway. But how then? Well, perhaps more seriously, though, isn't it? Maybe it's not a new gadget, but maybe it's the house or the career we've worked at building. Perhaps doesn't seem so fulfilling after all. Or perhaps even church life doesn't leave you satisfied. How then do we find satisfaction in life? How do we find true joy? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at one of my favourite psalms, Psalm 16, which is a wonderful, joyful song of King David, who, who unlike the Rolling Stones, he, he got satisfaction. And that's a bit of bad English, is not it? But he discovered true joy and contentment. And here in this psalm, he reveals why. Hundreds of books have been written, haven't they, over the years on the art of happiness or how to find and fulfil your passion-driven purpose, etc., etc. Yet what I love about this psalm is that we can find all that out in just 11 verses. It's one of those psalms that, although succinct, is pure gold. Well, before Graham comes up to read, us, to read it to us, let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bright and sunny morning and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. And we pray that as we open it up this morning that you will be a light to our path, that you will teach us and guide us. May it challenge us, but may it also cause our hearts to leap for joy as we take delight in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Craig. Psalm 16 is on page 549 in the Church Bibles. A Mictam of David. 
Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Graham. I don't know if you were here at last week's uh, fellowship lunch, but we enjoyed some lovely home-cooked uh, food, and uh, I know on the table I was at, we, was, we were saying, oh, we, we, need to, we need to find out what was in some of these dishes. We were eager to find out uh, the ingredients, because we wanted to replicate it ourselves. And in a way, I was thinking about this psalm. Uh, that, you know, in a way, it's, this is David's recipe, isn't it, for success? And uh, it contains lots of things, and uh, I know we could easily spend an hour on each line, but uh, we won't do that, don't worry. And uh, we could certainly have a sermon on each verse. But this morning, I sort of boiled it down to three ingredients, if you like, three pointers to help us. This is a bit of an overview of this psalm. But here's the first one. David had commitment to God. We look at verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. This psalm begins as a prayer, doesn't it? With David declaring God as his refuge, his hiding place, his safest place. David didn't seek security in his grand palace or his wealth or treasures, but in God. David knew that God is strong and mighty one and was the safest place for him to be. Then he submits to him as his Lord. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. And he goes on, doesn't he, to acknowledge that he has no good apart from God. I love this quote from uh, George MacDonald, who was a Scottish poet and minister from the 1800s. He wrote this, he says, whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. See, God is our ultimate good, and nothing else is really good without him. But it's interesting, isn't it? Notice, too, that David turns so quickly from telling God, I have no good besides you, to suddenly speaking about delighting in holy people. Do you see that in verse 3? I say of the holy people who are in the land, 
They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. It almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? But because David loves God, he loves being in the company of other people, God's people too. He takes delight in other believers who also treasure God and praise him. And then we see in verse 4 that David was so in love and committed to God that he would not dare even to run after other gods or even take up their names on their lips, on his lips. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. That's how devoted he was. He wasn't going to be distracted or diverted. He doesn't look up to the wealthy, the beautiful, the sporty, the intelligent. In fact, he realised that running after other gods was more difficult and would lead to suffering. But what about us? Are we committed to like David? So are we committed to God like David here? Do we take refuge in him? Or have we run after other gods or idols? Have we turned good things into God things. Uh, the American preacher Tim Keller, he writes that the human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the centre of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security and safety and fulfilment if we attain them. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? What about delighting in the company with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Would we rather come to church to worship God, but that's it? It's something just between him and me. We'd rather not get involved with other people. Or do we delight in each other here this morning at St. Michael's because we see God's love in each other Going by the amount of conversation that was going on before the service, it sounded so much like the later. But here's the second point, the second ingredient. And that David was content in God. Do you see that in verses 5 and 6? Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. It's a slightly strange line, isn't it? It's essentially saying God is my food and drink, my refreshment and sustenance, my highest joy. There's nothing on the table that will satisfy other than, than God. I don't know about you, but whenever you go to a restaurant, uh, I sometimes have that, that habit of just looking over my shoulder or around the restaurant just just at a glance, just to see what other people have ordered, to make sure there's nothing better than what the dish that I've chosen. But that's not like David here, is it? There's nothing else, even on the menu, that interests him. His eyes are totally focused on the Lord, and he's content with the wonderful inheritance God has given him. And here's the thing, here's the marvellous thing, is that what God has given him is his very self, do you remember when back in the uh, his book of Numbers, 
uh, where we're told that God was distributing the promised land out to the tribes of Israel. And the, the, the Levites, uh, who were the priests, were not given any land, were they? And the reason for that is because the Lord himself was their inheritance. He was their portion. You see, we've received the most valuable and desirable thing we could receive because we've been given a relationship with God himself. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the person who has God and everything else has no more than the person who has God only. David was content because he had God as his portion. Here's an interesting thought I came across. It says, would we still want to go to heaven if Jesus was not there? In other words, if in heaven you were able to see old friends, dwell in a glorified body, live a pain-free life, enjoy live music, watch good movies, read good novels, eat lots of food, enjoy a lovely house by the beach, yet you never spent time with Jesus. Would you be content? Well, how we answer that question probably reveals where we think joy, where true joy is found. Well, let's also move on in this psalm, because David was also content because he had God as his companion, his counsellor, to tell him what to do. Do you see that in verse 7? I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. David recognised that God is the source of all wisdom and that even at night when he couldn't get to sleep because he had too much on his mind, he knew he was not alone. It's a reminder for us too that God is right here speaking and instructing us. And as Nick reminded us a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 119, that God's word, the Bible, is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. It will direct our footsteps. I wonder, though, do we seek counsel in the word of God? Do we listen to him? Or do we simply rely on our own feelings or what we ourselves think? Earlier in the year, uh, I wanted to visit an optician's uh, to look at some glasses. Um, it was near Spitterfield in London. So I thought I'd go after work. I was working in London. And um, I found the shop okay, it was fine. And then afterwards I thought, you know, I could just continue walking along to Fenchurch Street. Uh, it couldn't be that difficult. Um, I was confident in my sense of direction. And I thought, you know, if I just keep walking east and then head south, uh, then I'll turn up at, at Fenchurch Street. Well, I started off walking, and uh, it's quite interesting seeing parts of London I'm not that familiar with. And uh, then I started seeing signs for Brick Lane. I thought, oh, maybe I should ask someone the way, just to check. But then there was a proud part of me that said, no, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a tourist, this is London. Well, I carried on walking, and, uh, and by this time, it, so this was back in about February, so it was getting dark, and then I saw a sign, sign saying, Whitechapel and Jack the Ripper tours. Oh, dear. So I thought, well, this time... I'd better go in and, and uh, pop into the shop asking for directions, um, stressing to the shopkeeper that you know, I wasn't a tourist, but I felt a bit embarrassed. Anyway, he pointed out where it should go, and as it happens, I've gone a bit too far east and ended up somewhere near Aldgate East. 
Anyway, the point is that sometimes in life we can be confident that that we're heading in the right direction. We think we'll find out ourselves how to navigate through life. We think we can work it out. And then even when we're lost, we wish to deny it. Well, King David wasn't too proud, was he? He gladly took counsel and instruction from the Lord. Uh, one of my other favourite psalms, it's like when people say, what's your favourite song? And you should say one song and then you think, oh, there's another song I like and there's another song I like. It was Psalm 139. And in that psalm, David writes, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that displeases you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David was willing to be corrected by the Lord. And as it says in verse 8, he kept his eyes always on the Lord, always thinking of him. I wonder, are we willing to be corrected by God? Are we always thinking of him? But now, let's come to the third point, the third ingredient, if you like, in this, uh, in this recipe, and that is David had confidence in God. Look down at verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Why? Why is David's heart so glad? Because of verse 10. Listen to this. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. That verse always jumps out at me whenever I read this. Isn't that truly wonderful? David's joy is based on the knowledge and confidence that God will not abandon him to the grave, where he can no longer enjoy God's presence. Uh, The message translation of the Bible puts verse 10 like this. It says, you cancelled my ticket to hell. That's no longer my destination. Of course, David knew he would die, but he also knew he would be rescued. He knew that somehow he wouldn't stay dead. God will bring you body and soul through life, through death, into full and lasting joy if God is your supreme place of refuge. That's the point of this psalm, really, isn't it? And of course, we can have even more confidence than David. For you see that up until now, David has been talking in in like the first person, hasn't he? He's been saying, my inheritance, my cup, my lot, my right hand. But in verse 10, there's a third person description. It says, your faithful one. So who is God's faithful one? Well, Peter and also Paul in the book of Acts refers to this very same psalm and reveals, of course, that it is a Jesus I'll just read this little bit from Acts, uh, where Peter, in his sermon, says to the crowd in Jerusalem, David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave. 
nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. So then, if you belong to Christ, if you have made him your place of refuge, then you belong to heaven. That's your destination. Your eternity is decided. Surely, surely that will make you the most joyful and satisfied person in the world because death will not hold you. You may notice that the start of this psalm uh, is marked with the word miktam. I don't know, no one apparently knows exactly what this word means. Uh, there's one possibility it means uh, etched or inscribed, to be inscribed in stone, to be preserved. In, in other words, David was essentially saying, I may have written lots of psalms, lots of songs, but don't forget this one. Don't forget this song, etch it in, onto your minds and hearts as it will give you great comfort, guidance, hope and joy. I don't know, maybe it had a catchy tune. I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but it was that song we sang at the end of the service. That's been going through my head all week, haven't got it out yet, I don't think. I don't know whether this psalm had a, had a, a, a similar tune. But before we close, we can't leave it here without looking at the last verse, verse 11, which provides a neat summary of all that David has just said. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Apparently the word for fill in Hebrew here is derived from the word saber. And that apparently means a full stomach so unlike the meal I had in that posh restaurant I mentioned at the start, God will fill us up with joy. And what is the cause of that joy? It's because we will have the privilege of being in the presence of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, forevermore. So to conclude and recap, do we, like David, have true commitment to God an undivided heart and we submitted to him as our Lord and Saviour. Secondly, do we find contentment in God alone and in God himself, allowing him to guide and instruct us? And finally, do we share in the same confidence that David had because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, that we will not be left in the grave to rot, that one day, one day, we will see Jesus face to face and live forevermore in his presence. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have everything we need in Jesus and that we have this extraordinary future. We thank you that you have made known to us the path of life, we pray that you will guide us along this path, that we will not be distracted by the things of this world or be shaken, but instead keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. We pray too that we may delight in the joy of being in your presence in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in, in this coming week or days ahead, that we can rejoice knowing that you are with us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.